0: W Living Planet
1: Hello, welcome to Living Planet. I'm Charlie Shield. Today on the show, we're going to help you sever an unhealthy addiction. Something that pollutes, impoverishes, and probably doesn't make you feel that good anyway. Fast fashion. Writer and stylist Baba is our fast fashion rehabilitation expert today, advising us on how to ditch the cheap threads for good and why you need to do that ASAP.
2: The planet is on fire. Our politicians, a lot of them, are very, very disheartening. Many of our peers cannot get on the property ladder. Inflation, everything has gone up, but wages have stagnated. And it feels like things are virtually not in our control. We're buying to really pacify ourselves for deeper issues in our society. We also hear from the people whose local environments have become
1: a dumping ground for the stuff that we just don't want to wear anymore.
3: So, If you go to the informal settlements where most of the waste in Nairobi is dumped, you'll see a lot of secondhand clothes and clothes pieces within the waste. And I think it's one of the major drivers for flooding when there is rains in, in Nairobi.
1: And later on, how India is turning its trash into something wearable. That's all coming up on Living Planet. The fashion industry contributes about 10% of global greenhouse gas emissions. That's more than the emissions from shipping and international flights combined. It's a lot. And it's increasing. At the pace the industry is currently expanding, emissions are set to rise by more than 50% by 2030. Fast fashion is a pretty new thing. Up until the 80s, clothing was generally more expensive, better quality, and it took far longer to make. Because of the enormous toll fast fashion has on the environment and the people who work in the industry, critics say that we need to return to this earlier model of how we used to make and regard clothing. And first up today, we're chatting to one such critic, someone who can help – Ajababa is a writer and stylist and the author of Consumed, The Collective Need for Change, Colonialism, Climate Change and Consumerism. Now, Ajababa isn't just some fashion-forgoing dad who finds it easy to tell people to stop buying so many clothes because she only wears football jerseys and Velcro sandals from the chemist. No, she's really stylish and what she chooses to make part of her wardrobe really matters to her because of both what it looks like and the implications it has on the planet and its people. This is our conversation, where Aja starts off by explaining what the race to the bottom is in the fashion industry and why it's a big problem.
2: It is ultimately about finding the lowest and cheapest and most exploitative price on Earth. I've seen this happen within my lifetime. I've seen so much manufacturing Moved to China. I've seen it move to India, to Bangladesh, and now the fashion industry has their eye on Ethiopia. And so it's never about improving the lives of the people making the clothing. It's always about what is cheapest for the corporation and ultimately what we can be lured in by the low price tag because behind every low price is a lot of harm. Okay, so help us out here.
1: I'm a consumer, I'm going shopping. I want to avoid fast fashion. So what is fast fashion exactly? What counts as fast? And is it the case that if I just spent more money on my clothing, say buying designer clothing or more luxury items, that I would already be making a difference? Or is that still contributing to the problem in the same way?
2: Fast fashion is clothing that's turned out very quickly with very little regard to the environment and the people who make it. So it isn't just what you see on the high street. Some luxury can behave in a fast fashion sort of way. We need to hold everyone to the same standard, but I think people really love to go, luxury does it too, because we're really addicted to cheap clothing. The reality is, can luxury brands be exploitative? Yes, they absolutely can. They can also pay really well. And when it comes to the end life of, that product from a luxury brand, we inherently treat our more expensive clothing better. So there is not a, you know, rotting trash heap of authentic luxury sitting in Ghana, because if there were, you could call me and I'd come and get it for you. You know, that's not even in my charity shop. Let's be honest that you might have the odd, very expensive handbag that somebody has generously donated, but there aren't 20 of them there's one and so the end life of a luxury product is never going to be the same as the $5 dress that someone buys and says i'll just wear it once it was only $5 and so i always tell people you really need to think about where what you want to get out of your wardrobe and if you're someone who's shopping weekly or monthly even It's time to start thinking about stepping up your game and buying for five to 10 years instead of buying for one season, basically. That's how I look at all of my clothing. When I go to purchase something, I think to myself, will this last me for more than three years? And if it is something that I change my mind about, because all sorts of things happen. We change our mind. We gain weight we lose weight this is a very natural human experience for these things to happen but will somebody else want this garment if I decide that I no longer do and that is the first thing that stopped me in my tracks when I was moving away from fast fashion was I started to look at items and think to myself okay but does anybody actually really want this like I want it right now because it's very trendy and it's very cheap but like will somebody want this in a year And if the answer is no, then you know to walk away and leave it in the store because you won't want it in a year. And if you don't want it in a year, then what you're basically saying is I can make it someone else's problem when I no longer want it. But it's time for us to stop thinking that way.
1: Okay. And what else should we look out for? What does so-called slow fashion, more ethically minded fashion look like in practice? How did you change your habits?
2: When I look at my own wardrobe and how I shop now versus how I shopped 10 years ago when I was a fast fashion consumer, it is worlds away, but there's so much more joy and happiness. The wardrobe breakdown that I have is 70% secondhand. And by the way, I am plus size because people will say, oh, you know, you can't really do it if you're plus size. And I just think, you can. It takes more time and it takes slowing down, but it's not impossible. And then 30% ethical brands. And so I spend a lot less money now on clothing than I did 10 years ago. There were years where I was spending, you know, thousands of dollars on fast fashion and not even realizing. And I wasn't getting a wardrobe that was reflective of me. I wasn't feeling happy. I was just chasing trends. So I've slowed down tremendously, I spend a lot less money, and my wardrobe is so much better and so much happier, and not every person is going to be able to quit fast fashion tomorrow, and I understand that, but for many of us, I think we can do things differently, and if we start to do things differently, what we might find is that we might actually enjoy it.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And can we talk a bit about the emotions associated with consuming? What do people need to understand better about what's going on here in order to change their habits? Because if you think about it, the messages that we receive to encouraging us to consume are very hard to avoid and they're very pervasive. And sometimes when you do buy something new, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel better. So What's going on here exactly?
2: Have you ever gone through your day and counted how many advertisements you see? Because I've tried to do it in London and I lose track. Like I normally tap out after about 100. Consumerism is a richly integral part of our society. And so don't feel bad if you're like, I, I don't want to be a consumerist drone because it's it's kind of hard to escape, especially on social media. But what we have to do is we have to start to identify those feelings and identify what we're really feeling when we feel the urge to buy things we don't need. So, like, I knew that when I was living in the D.C. area and didn't feel like I had job security or any sort of financial security whatsoever and I was single and unhappy and dating was hard and living situations were pretty sucky, I was more inclined to be like, you know what? I'll go buy myself a dress. It's almost like buying things is a weird sense of control that we have in a world where we feel like we don't have control. Like the planet is on fire. Our politicians, a lot of them are very, very disheartening. And for our generation, Things are so much harder than they were for our parents' generation. Many of our peers cannot get on the property ladder. Inflation, everything has gone up, but wages have stagnated. And it feels like things are virtually not in our control. But I guess I would just say, don't feel bad that like we live in this consumerist society and you feel compelled to buy things. That is exactly how the system is supposed to work. But now that you have the tools and you have the information... You have to ask yourself, do you want to just shrug your shoulders and just continue to go along with it? Or do you want to like level up and slow down and not give that billionaire your hard earned wages and maybe give money to a small business that you know is paying people well? Like When you know that people are being treated well to make the things that you buy, you form a different attachment to them. We're buying to really pacify ourselves for deeper issues in our society. And once you start to like pick up on when you feel compelled to buy things you don't need, oftentimes if you just sit with it, what you'll find is that there's something else that you currently want and it's not a $5 dress. And maybe you can just achieve that by like slowing down and going, you know what, I'm not going to go to that shop today.
1: And aside from being more in touch with our own needs – How should people understand the link between fast fashion or the fashion industry at large and climate justice and colonialism as you
2: lay out in your book? So it's a real, you know, it's a real intersectional issue because currently all fashion systems are linear. Linear means a line. They should all be circular, but currently at the start of that system and at the end of that system, You have non-white people of color in the global South. You have people who are having their resources taken from them in order to make cheap garments and having their rivers polluted in order to have all these factories in their country where the clothing is then exported to the global North where we buy it. So you've got those people there that are being, they're having their resources exploited. They're having their environment exploited. They're having their labor exploited. But then because so much clothing is being pushed, and we're buying so much clothing, there's no place for it to go. Like if there were no export system in the UK, we would just have piles and piles of rotting clothing on every street corner. So we have these systems where you can donate and we think, oh, it's so good because some poor person will be really happy with this cardigan that's missing a few buttons, but that's obviously not the case. And that clothing then gets dumped right back in the Global South, where it pollutes the environment of non-white people. Rwanda has this issue. Uganda has this issue. Kenya has this issue. The Atacama Desert in Chile has this issue. So from start to finish, this this is a um, system where non-white people are harmed a lot. And so- all of these systems of colonialism that we had in the past are still very present today, exploiting certain people in certain parts of the world, taking their resources. But now we have a new level where we treat their lands like their dumping zones. And ultimately, for, for many of us, it's about the choices we make. And in mentioning personal choice there, what would you say to the people
1: who argue that what they decide to buy and where not really going to make much of a difference in the grand scheme of things because of the power that these multinational fashion corporations have.
2: Obviously, there is a lot of space for regulation here, but I always think that nobody is going to regulate anything if citizens like you and I don't really care. Individual action does have impact because these brands completely pay attention to what consumers are reading and thinking. So, While people will argue until they're blue in the face that it's not on the individual, I would say it is on us to care because if we don't care, no one else does. And if no one cares, nothing changes. We're facing the threat of a lifetime. A lot of the issues that we are facing in our society are things that are a lot harder to tackle as an individual. It's a lot of you know, big issues where there needs to be a lot of organizing and not everyone is going to be able to organize in a certain way. But one thing we all can do is think a little bit differently about the $5 t-shirt and the $5 dress. That's one thing every single one of us can maybe think about. If every single one of us bought a couple of secondhand items a year, it would have such tremendous impact. And ultimately, I think what people will find is if you start to really interact with these systems different, you might just like it. That
1: was Aja Baba talking to me about the harm of cheap clothing. Her book is called Consumed, The Collective Need for Change, Colonialism, Climate Change and Consumerism. And in this next story, we're going to head to one of the African countries Aja mentioned in our conversation, where the wealthy world's cheap clothing goes to die, or rather, goes to pile up in landfills, clog drainage systems and pollute cities. From Nairobi, Kenya, Victor Mottori has more.
0: Gikomba Market, located about one and a half kilometres from central Nairobi, is loud and busy. It's filled with a colorful array of more than 5,000 vendors and buyers. Here, the trade of second-hand items such as clothes, shoes and home goods imported from Europe and Asia is a major source of income for the thousands of traders who do business here. People come from all over the country to buy these items called Mitumba to resell in their towns. But the market is also a huge source of waste. Thousands of items are not sold. Much of what is left over is not disposed of properly. It causes damage to the local environment and it's a health hazard for residents such as David Ahmed. The
3: market is not a clean place like wholesale supermarkets or shops. When second-hand clothes arrive, someone might find some of them torn or worn out, and there is nowhere to throw them away except on
0: the ground. All around the market there are mounds of garbage, discarded clothing and clutch drainage system. Margaret Kasiala and Mama Charity, two traders in Gukomba market, tell me about their daily struggles with the clothing
1: waste. It becomes so congested here that it's difficult to walk through. People even throw their waste here at night because there is no designated place for disposal and there are no garbage collection vehicles to collect the waste. We wonder why the county government collects levies from us but fails to do anything about the waste issue. Currently we pay young people to transport the waste and dispose of it in rivers or on the streets. We don't care. As long as it's removed.
0: This garment waste is affecting us even with diseases. We constantly suffer from colds and I've also contracted other illnesses because no filthy place can be good for health. Every year, Kenya imports 184,000 tons of second-hand clothes, according to government data. Most of it is imported from China, Pakistan, Canada, the United States and the United Kingdom. About 20% of these imports go to West after failing to attract customers. That's according to a 2021 report from the Netherlands-based Changing Market Foundation. Kawangware Market, located approximately 20 kilometers from Gikomba, is another hotspot for the trade of second-hand clothing in Kenya. Here, vendors charge 40 shillings or 30 US cents per kilogram of clothing. Jacqueline, a trader here, tells me the local drainage system is clogged up by discarded clothes that find their way into local waterways, pipes and drains. It's particularly bad during the rainy season. This place is dirty, and when it rains, sewage water floods even onto the
2: road, and we're the ones affected because it also fills up inside the market. There's no one to complain to because if you try to speak up, you're told to leave the market. And you
0: wonder, where should I go? This is where I earn my income. Environmental activists and lobby groups in Kenya are calling for industry-wide reforms and stricter regulations. George Mwaniki, head of air quality in Africa at the World Resources Institute, says the environmental impact of clothing waste from this market is enormous. These second hand clothes are usually thrown around the city
3: and they usually find their way into Nairobi rivers and that leads to clogging of uh, various drains and also if you go to the informal settlements where most of the solid waste in Nairobi is dumped you'll see a lot of second hand clothes within the waste and I think it's one of the major drivers for flooding when there is uh, uh, rains in, in Nairobi Uh, So it's it's a major major challenge. I do appreciate the need for these second-hand clothes uh, for those within our societies who cannot afford to go and buy new clothes from the shops. Uh, But also, uh, the waste coming from that space needs to be handled better. Uh, At the moment, we are working very closely with the Nairobi
0: city county uh, to kind of see how better can they manage their solid waste. For the past two years, Kenya National Environmental Management Authority has been working on waste management and cleaning initiatives in urban markets like Kikomba and Kawangware. According to Rodney Omari, a senior assistant secretary at the Ministry of Environment, the government has already started recycling projects to reduce fabric waste in Nairobi, which generate 2,400 tons every day. Currently, there are individuals producing pillows, others manufacturing sofa chairs, and some creating ceiling boards using rejects materials, such as pieces of clothes and blankets. The percentage of garment waste that goes towards it is yet to be established. But, in general, progress of waste management reform is slow, and the amount of rejected clothing being used in these recycling initiatives is low, especially when compared to what ends up in the environment. It is also does not address the excess of secondhand clothing coming into the country in the first place, says Patrick Diamond, a professor of public policy at London's Queen Mary University. He believes the problem is not Kenya's alone to solve. I think there
3: is an issue in terms of textiles being dumped um, without proper supervision. And there is also clearly an issue that some marketplaces need better supervision. And that's what we should concentrate on. I do think in terms of dumping, my fundamental point is that the producer is responsible. And so European or Asian producers who are producing clothes that are being dumped in Africa need to take responsibility. That's where the responsibility lies, not on the Matumba
0: trade in Kenya. traders like Ahmed at the bustling Ikomba market in Nairobi are demanding the Kenya government come up with quick measures to make the second and clothing trade more sustainable and environmental friendly. It won't affect us, it
3: will affect our future generation. I haven't seen any kind of uh, government
0: initiative trying to clean the river so far. No, I haven't seen, I can't lie about that. For DW, I am Victor Moturi in Nairobi, Kenya.
1: What if you could turn a very abundant, very difficult-to-dispose-of item of trash into something that you can actually wear? And I'm not talking about wearable art, just regular, everyday clothing. In India, like many countries around the world, plastic bottles are a Plague. They litter the landscapes all over the country. But with the right equipment and expertise, those plastic bottles could just be the basis of some very sustainable threads. Evelyn McClafferty has this story by Apana Garnison. It looks a bit like the kind of equipment
4: you'd find in a sci-fi film, but this giant machine, spinning almost hypnotically, has a much more practical task... Blending polyester and cotton threads to form a bright blue fabric. These polyester threads aren't made directly from petroleum, though. They're sourced from recycled PET, or PET bottles. Sankar K, a managing partner at Sri Renga Polymers, says using the bottles makes perfect sense. India alone consumes 1.4 million tonnes of PET plastic every year. Along with that comes a responsibility to handle that plastic waste in an efficient
3: manner. PET bottle is an engineering plastics, okay? Highly viscoelastic, in the sense, when you stretch it, I get a fibre. Pet bottles are there plenty, so why not I make a fibre out of pet bottles? Srivarenga
4: polymers located at Karor in the South Indian state of Tamil Nadu converts PET bottles into apparel. It all starts with the so-called rag pickers, who collect the bottles one by one at dumpsters and give them to an agent. The agent converts these bottles into stacked, compressed plastic cubes, which arrive at the crushing facility. Every month, they crush 800 tonnes of PET plastic. Once they're flattened, the PET bottles go through various stages of sorting. The bottle caps are separated from paper and other materials. These are then shredded to create tiny plastic pieces called recycled PET flakes. Along the main conveyor belt, they glisten like a giant emerald carpet. But their journey isn't over yet. The green flakes are poured into a vat of caustic soda before being rinsed and dried to remove dirt, silt and other materials. Nearly 98% of all water used in this process is purified, recycled and reused. The next step is to melt these hot, washed flakes and convert them to polyester fibres. The ones from this batch resemble long, shiny strands of black licorice. Sankar K. explains this is where the most important technology comes into play.
3: Production of polyester fibre is done by a technology called dope dye technology. The advantage is that we do not use a single drop of water in colouring the polyester fibre.
4: Shirenga Polymer's Associate Vice President, Bopathy Bandam says one of the main advantages of dope-dye technology is avoiding unnecessary pollution.
3: To dye one kilo of fabric, you need four or five times the amount of water. That will pollute our water, land, everything. Whereas in dope dye technology, we integrate the colour while melting the plastic. So when the polymer itself is coloured, you do not need further dyeing.
4: The end result is a smooth sheet of fabric, which you'd hardly guess was a plastic bottle in its former life. It can easily be sewn into just about anything. The fibres can be used in cars, home furnishings and even clothing. The polyester fibre can also be mixed with various other materials, such as cotton, to create more specific fabrics, opening the door for even more sustainable
3: products. Ultimately a product which is ranked as super sustainable product, it is normally 20% more than the conventional polyester fabric based garments. Jay Alakashimi
4: Sankar is also a managing partner at Sri Renga Polymers. From the bustling factory floor, she explains how the company also created a transparent process for the curious consumer who wants to know where their
3: garment came from. So people who believe in this uh, recycling, we give them the traceability information from garment to the waste bottle that is being picked up. So any consumer who buys our garment, there is a QR code which he can scan And he will know from where the waste was collected for his particular garment.
4: In another part of the factory, workers gently cut and iron strips of the finished polymer fabric. India's textile industry accounts for nearly 5% of the country's GDP. Fortunately, the sustainable fashion market in the country is set to grow at 11% and reach 10 billion US dollars by 2025. Sankar says customers are now simply happy to spend a bit more money on sustainable products.
3: Customers are willing to pay more because there is a cost associated with that and we are all seeing the effect of uh, climate change. So there is a good uh, you know reception for uh, sustainable clothing amongst customers a question of reach. We need to reach to them. We need to educate them on this. And I think we'll be there.
4: On average, Sri Ranga polymers convert 1.5 million bottles every day to manufacture polyester. From plastic waste to a unique garment, this may well be the future of sustainable fashion in India.
1: And that brings us to an end of this week's episode of Living Planet. Thank you so much for listening. Living Planet is a DW Studios production coming to you out of Germany. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to Living Planet in whichever podcast app you use. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review if you've got a minute. You can also always reach out to us at livingplanet DW.com. I'm Charlie Shield. We'll be back next week with more environment stories from around the world.